morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining another episode of We Are Alchemists. I know it's, we've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we've been very, very busy. Um, I'm Ben Putley. I'm CEO and co-founder of Alchemy Exchange, and I'm very proud to be joined by my co-founding team, Chorley and Chandru. I'll let you introduce yourselves to the people listening and if they don't know who you are. Hi, I'm Chorley. Uh, I'm the COO, and uh, I have the pleasure of working with both Ben and Chandru on everything. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Chandru, and I am the CTO of Alchemy Exchange. And uh, yes, I've been very lucky to have such a wonderful team and to work with uh, Ben and Cholly and everything exciting about Alchemy. Exactly that. And it's, wow, it's been a year, right? So I mean, <laughs> maybe a bit less, maybe a bit more, depends when you take the start date from. Yeah. So depends who you're asking. If it's our previous employers, less than a year. Yeah. <laughs> But I think, yeah, it's true, actually. I've only just started. Um, but what we really wanted to do today was just spend some time talking about the Constellation ecosystem, the part that Alchemy is going to have to play in that, and just why we're so excited to be building a state channel on the hypergraph and what that means for the advertising market, but not just the advertising market, just the data, datapreneurs, the data market, the future, essentially. Um, so I think... It probably makes sense, you know, if we go back to talk about Constellation, you know, we wouldn't be here without the hypergraph and talk again really about why we're so excited. And I think Chandu is our, our resident technical expert. I'm going to throw the mic over to you first is just say like, what is it that made you excited about Constellation to begin with? And then why you got even more excited about building off the Alchemy State channel on the Constellation hypergraph? Um, thanks, Ben. Just starting off with Constellation, I think we are at that stage of uh, uh, Web3, where everybody wants to be on the blockchain. And though every company wants to build solutions on the blockchain, we probably don't really appreciate the, the problems that come with building on the blockchain and how we can actually address those problems. So I think we are at that stage um, of development where every company wants to have a product in the metaverse built on the blockchain, because that's the in thing. You know, um, there are quite a lot of value additions that blockchain brings, you know, in, in terms of transparency, in terms of uh, smart contracts mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. And everybody wants to leverage these features of the blockchain. But let's be honest, there are certain limitations that come with building on blockchains, which will need to be addressed if we want to grow at a scale. If, if the whole field of uh, uh, blockchains want to grow at a scale that the internet did, or maybe even, even bigger than that, even faster than that. So there was this, my interactions with uh, the blockchain community and building dApps on blockchain started a few years ago when we started building on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is where we actually found certain limitations of building on Ethereum. Like for example, um, the, the limitations that we have on the consensus mechanism, yeah. the, the, the gas price, which is associated with building, uh, you know, having transactions on Ethereum. These were some of the things that stood out, which actually limit developers from building a product that they want to in a way in which they want to on existing, uh, blockchain solutions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we all understand these problems, at least people who, who have built the apps on the existing blockchain solutions to understand that these are limitations. Yeah. And at this point in time, you know, there was no viable alternative. And I believe that the real alternative to addressing all of these problems is constellation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I must confess, I did not know much about the features of constellation, but when I started interacting with the Constellation team, actually looking at all of the features that they bring to the table and what effect each of these features have on projects building on top of them, I think each feature is a game changer. Absolutely, yeah. Do you think this is uh, one of those things where people talk about a blockchain, but that's quite a kind of blunt word for what's going on? I mean, obviously... With Ethereum and Bitcoin, they are blockchains and the way that they are built is through blocks of data being built on top of each other. But that's not necessarily the only way for a blockchain, quote unquote, to work. <laughs> that's very true. In fact, uh, you know, um, uh, Constellation uses the hypergraph. It's, it's a graph. It's not really a, a chain of blocks. It's more complicated than that. But without getting into the details of the, the graph structure itself, um, it, it functions in a different way. And what that gives to projects is the ability to 
transact on data yeah. rather than on transactions, really. So if we look at data as being the most atomic um, structure that any processing can happen on, it's really limitless. If you can actually operate on data of any format and make sense and derive information out of that data, derive um, knowledge out of that information and wisdom finally from that knowledge, you can actually use constellation to translate raw data into wisdom and all of that on the blockchain. I think that is... It sounds very simple to say, but I think the implications of that are profound in that right now there is a degree of experience of, of human knowledge required to be applied to data sets in order to fashion this wisdom, which might then dictate the business decision you might make. And I think that that's where consensus is, the if this, then that, the customizable consensus is for state channels that will exist in the future, which we're building right now, will really, I don't want to go too, too crazy, but you can start to recreate a lot of the processing that us as human beings do with very complex different sets of data in a consensus to verify information and then make decisions based off of that and replicate what is kind of learned wisdom in human beings applied on a level. And I think that that's not to say that robots are taking over. I think that that will be that the amount of kind of insinuations and strategic decisions you can make when part of that decision-making capacity is being done by a computer is going to blow people away when that's applied to traditional business sectors. And that's where I think the three of us were hugely excited about Constellation because there's, there's no crypto projects largely that have bridged the gap from blockchain crypto community to the real world, you know? And I think this Constellation state channel is the hypergraph are exactly how that's going to happen. You know, it's very exciting time, I think, to be in technology, to be in Web3, and particularly to be involved in Constellation in any capacity. You know, it's, we're very excited. We're pretty much vibrating. It might be the coffee, but yeah, <laughs> we're all vibrating on a very regular basis, you know. Um, so yeah, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, definitely. I think it's worth touching on the sort of validation of data as well, right? Yep. I mean, there's the ability with Constellation to validate information at the edge rather than it being done in the center or kind of in, in the center on, on chain as, as is kind of done with, uh, with traditional blockchain. So yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about that, Chanju? Yeah, sure. Um, so we talk about validating data at the edge. So, um, Let's take a step backwards and look at just what consensus is. Mm -hmm. And this is, we're going absolutely into the fundamentals now as to what is consensus. As we all know, um, consensus is getting a, uh, uh, say in a group of people, you know, it is about getting people with different thought processes, different priorities to agree on something that is beneficial as a group. Do you want pizza? Always. I want pizza. <laughs> we are in consensus, you know? Yes. Or, you know, uh, things like that, where, where it can be as simple as that, mm. or it can be as complicated as, okay, we are, uh, which movie do we watch? You might want to watch a horror movie. I might want to watch a comedy. You might want to watch a drama. But how is it that we resolve our differences and arrive at a decision mm -hmm. that all of us are favorable towards. Yeah. It might not be your first priority, but is it your second priority? Um, and is it something that scares you? Or mm. is, is this something that's absolutely not, um, not acceptable to you? What is it? You know, there are fairly complicated conditions that will need to be met. And each of the validators will need to agree on and say, okay, as a group, we say this is the best decision or this is the decision going forward. Mm. And that to me is consensus in, in very layman terms, you know, nothing related to blockchain. But then how do we apply these concepts on blockchain? We have the concept of nodes mm -hmm. where nodes will need to agree on the way forward. And these nodes are typically decentralized, run by people from any part of the world so there is no motivation for them to um, come together and do something malicious. The more decentralized this group of nodes validators is, the better it is for the blockchain. Mm -hmm. That's number one. So it needs to be highly decentralized. The second is what are the conditions that they can validate? Is this something that's 
very trivial? Is this something that I just check a flag and say, yes, I do this, no, I do that, which is typically what happens on smart contracts. Mm -hmm. Or is it something that uh, I can run through checks, process data, and then arrive at an intelligent decision? That to me is custom consensus, where it is replicating human behavior we look at various conditions before we go out to the movie. Maybe we decided on a movie, but then we look outside and see that the weather is terrible. Mm-hmm. So we can't walk to the movie. Is there a change in decision? So how is it possible for us to replicate human behavior? How is it possible for us to replicate nature mm-hmm. in order to uh, handle all of that complicated validation mechanism? That is what Constellation brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, because you could argue that this room we're in now is a state channel. You know, we are validators within this state channel, validating the conversation we're having, what's next on the running order, is the volume right in the headphones? That's very already complex consensus. And then we are able to leave this state channel, take what we know, go to the cafe over the road and enter another state channel in effect, and then do this entire validation all over again with do I want an Americano? Do I want a flat white? Do I want a latte? Do I want a croissant? You know, that they are all consensuses that you sometimes fall into with yourself or with other people, as you said. When the penny dropped for me with that, it was like, holy shit, you know, like, this is it. You know, if we can do this on a blockchain, you you move away from the the inherent issues with a smart contract, right? Which is like a bit, when this happens, do this. You know, like that, that, is great for some actions like completing orders on a decentralized exchange. But I think what we're seeing is it's kind of running into its limitations of what people want to build and what's actually feasible. And, and that's, I, we're not, I'm not trashing Ethereum by any stretch. None of us will like, we are, we're stood on their shoulders, you know, like the Ethereum foundation drew in developers and created this market that we're now in. Absolutely. But stuff progresses, you know, like technology moves on um, and just, this ability for this custom consensus is limitless, really. You know? Yeah, I always kind of make the joke that smart contracts aren't actually that smart. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're smart for a contract because the alternative is a piece of paper or a PDF, yeah. right? But ultimately, they don't actually allow you to do things that you could even do within like a normal computer program, right? So it's like that that is the limitation. So if you can't process things in the same way as a server, you're already not as good as a centralized system. Mm-hmm. And that's where Constellation is completely different and does give that extra, you know, to developers that they're not going to get from a smart contract, right? Absolutely. In fact, I I read somewhere where one of the Wyatt quotes Mm. where he says, if you want to do the smartest thing, just try and replicate what nature has done. And I think that's that's a brilliant quote. You know, uh, we're not going to be smarter than what nature has done. So... um, if that is the the design uh, requirement that that actually motivated the the development of constellation hypergraph, I think it cannot go wrong. Yeah, because I, I think the the way I think about smart contracts, and I always try and place it in the real world with the stupid idiom. I'm very David Brent in the way that I do that. I think, and for me, uh, a smart contract is in a restaurant kitchen. You know, you place your order, that then triggers the the chef to cook the food. It is then placed in the pass when it is ready, when the conditions are met for the smart contract or the recipe, and it is then delivered to that end user. So like, it's kind of like the a smart contract. I've already done this now. It's like a POS system, you know, like doesn't do anything until something happens and it only does what it said it was going to do. It doesn't make it any more complex than that. I think that's, I think that's a good example. You're both nodding. So yeah, maybe we'll workshop that one a little bit more, but like, or it's like a dumb waiter, you know, like you, you put the food in, goes up to the hill and then off you go, the food's ready. And that is great. You know, like I love restaurants, you know, I like the way I love smart contracts. So I think I'm trying to think what the example would be for a state channel, but. I think the thing that smart contracts have uh, allowed is that trustless nature. Yeah. So it's all well and good us having a computer program that runs on a server that can do very complex things, but you need somebody to be the auditor of that and be in control of that server. Otherwise, it can you know have malicious attacks that make it do things that it's not meant to do. Whereas a smart contract, like you said, will only ever do what it's going to do. And then that means that, you know, me and you both know that it is not going to do anything else. So we know what the conditions of that smart contract are and we can act accordingly. We can, 
you know, whether it's trade cryptos or whether it's, you know, do something more complex than that, we know that the smart contract is the way it is and it's never going to change. Whereas with a, you know, a server, whoever's in control of that server can change the the nature of that server and what happens in it um, and what happens on the code in that server. And I think that's kind of the one thing that has, yeah, the smart contracts really did open up was that trustless environment where nobody needs to have a third party auditing it or making sure that everything's okay because that's the expensive bit that's more expensive than gas fees, <laughs> even though yeah. everyone complains about gas fees. It's Everyone's like, favourite punch bag. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? But um but yeah, I mean, like, you know, the bank charges, for example, are way more expensive. And that's because there's actual human beings having to do all of those things that are mm-hmm. lines of code in a smart contract. That's very true, uh, Charlie. But um, y- you speak about uh, the trustless environment. Um, but th- there's there's one catch there, which is um, there is always a dependency on something that is external mm-hmm. to the, the blockchain in order to validate uh, and provide information this is this is the classic data oracle problem yeah and the data oracle tends to be centralized mm. and that could be a point of attack where if there is a malicious uh, validation process off the chain then it is going to affect the the way the smart contract actually functions and what is actually captured on the ledger so while i completely agree with you about the trustless environment um we need to look at ways in which we can extend our trustless environment to validate things that were previously being validated by a centralized authority. And if we can bring all of the validations, all of the data validation and decision-making process and make it decentralized, and we again, we will hit the, the classic problem of uh, decentralization, scalability, security, um, well, when we address all of that and make sure that we can actually have a decentralized network of nodes validating data and making decisions that were previously made by a central authority, I think we've got the best of all the worlds. Yeah, totally agree. And that is, I think, where Constellation comes into picture with the with the custom consensus. Absolutely, because the way we always spoke about a custom consensus was um, with ad fraud. And solutions that exist for ad fraud right now are quite often retrospective. So they will determine what a bad impression is, what a spoofed URL is, what invalid traffic, basically. A lot of the time after the fact, at which point the ad dollar has been spent, the ad's been delivered somewhere it shouldn't be, and kind of at that point the toothpaste is out of the tube. And I think by providing a custom consensus mechanism, you can preemptively block that fraud because the the spoofed ad impression, the spoofed URL is not going to gain consensus with the other validators within the Alchemy Exchange state channel to even be eligible to bid, to receive an ad, depending on which side you're coming from. And that that's significant just in the ad sense because there's 20% of every dollar's lost to fraud. You know, it's like crazy. It's $340 billion talking about $68 billion that just disappears, you know? And that's just the the alchemy example, you know? like the, Exactly. The applications in any business sector for anything like that are phenomenal. They're huge, you know? like and, and you're seeing that with the number of projects that are coming through the flight program that are being incubated. It's not, you don't really see any like, I always joke and say noun swaps, you know? Like it's pancake swap, sushi swap, uni swap, you know, like, we're not seeing the next noun swap on Constellation. We're seeing the next creator economy for musicians in GeoJam, the events with fan token, you know, like just to name two that have come out of the program and that is sparking interest. And the next cohort, I think there's 75 projects or something that are in there. So it's clearly resonating with people that aren't from the traditional crypto world, but understand crypto and applying that to real world businesses, which is like very, very unique to the Constellation ecosystem, I think. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the um, when we were talking about this uh, before the call, we we referred to everything being data, yeah, and everybody being a validator, which is exactly what Constellation is trying to uh, trying to do. Where you know, being able to operate on data sets that are uh, varied, the classic three Vs of big data: yeah. velocity, variety, and volume. Yeah. Being able to accept huge amounts of data 
process a variety of data and being able to process them very, very quickly is what Constellation is providing. Um, so when we talk about consensus, especially in the ad world, what custom consensus allows us to do is not only look at ad fraud, ad fraud being one of the one of the biggest example, but but also the normal processing. You know, getting a network of nodes to agree on how the ads need to be rendered, which ad needs to be rendered, uh, whether the publisher is valid or not, whether the data that is being received by the exchange is spoof data or is it genuine data? And all of this being done not by a centralized authority. Well, every exchange would claim, okay, we are doing the right thing, mm. but how would an external party be able to verify and audit that the actions that have been taken by the exchange or whichever party are genuinely valid? We just take the word of the centralized authority for it, be it Google or Facebook or anybody else. But if we are able to validate those actions using a network of decentralized nodes, if we have, for example, a, a, a network of decentralized nodes, which look at the bid request that's coming into the exchange and say, okay, we validated the signature and we are sure that this bid request is coming from the publisher who claims to have sent it. So it's not a centralized authority, a centralized exchange that is saying, yes, we validate it. We know it's okay which could or could not be genuine. Mm -hmm. We are actually getting a network of decentralized nodes to validate that, which means that the uh, it is very, very likely to be a genuine bid request. Yeah. So all of these actions, which are now agreed upon, validated by a network of decentralized nodes, which have no relation to each other, actually ensure that ad fraud does not happen. And it's not just limited to ad fraud, as you said, or just limited to the ad world, as you said. There is, it's, it's up to our creativity to actually come up with what we can do with the custom consensus mechanism, which fields we apply to and where we take it. If I was the IAB now, do you think I should be worried or do you think you, I would be excited to actually deliver on the premise of the IAB, which is the gold standard of advertising right now? At the moment, that's kind of a recommendation. But what we're saying is that, I'm asking you, could that gold standard just be automated? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think as well, the IOB has a wider remit that is around formats and things like that as well, which has meant that even things like OpenRTB have taken a bit of a backseat yeah. and all that kind of stuff where there's business functions and then there's, then there's things that, yeah, need to be done trustlessly on-chain, all that good stuff. And then bits that are just like, okay, well, we've done a bit of research and we've decided that people actually don't like ads that just take over the whole page that they're trying to read something on. That is kind of the practicalities that the IAB could still be dealing with yeah. on a regular ongoing basis without having to worry about whether, you know, whether the bid objects that everybody uses look the same and all that kind of stuff. Because also, you know, that is something that, yeah, well, hopefully we're going to take over. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't see a reason for uh, uh, us not being able to implement that on a state channel. Yeah, uh, There are no limitations. Uh, we can build anything into a state channel. We can build anything into a custom consensus mechanism. Um, and uh, it's not just the ad world. I know we will touch upon the the, the topic of having two levels of consensus mm -hmm. and the effect on uh, ecosystems. So that is as well, for me, a, a game changer. So let's, before we jump into that, because uh, very exciting, I think it probably would be remiss of us if we chose not to build an Ethereum, right? And one of the main reasons that we chose not to do that is because of the volume of transactions required to bring a programmatically traded ad onto a blockchain and then layer over IAB standards and fraud verification tools, all of which would be writing to a smart contract with a fee, returning back the smart contract, with like when you um, use Uniswap and you wrap a token and it's 140 bucks, but sending USDT to another wallet address is only 30. And I think that that's because there's a multi-step process that happens. And we've always joked, like running an entire programmatic ad auction on Ethereum is an amazing way to lose every penny you've ever had in about 30 seconds. <laughs> I think there are some white papers of people who thought about doing it. Um, and 
I mean, they since have not managed to do it. Yeah. That's why, you know, with the next people in trying to put an auction on chain, but obviously to a completely different chain. I think anyone that's aware of Constellation will know there's feeless transactions, but it's not as simple as that, I don't think. And surely you were talking about this on a Twitter spaces, um, I think a couple of days ago, and I thought you just hit the nail absolutely on the head. So I will kind of defer to your explanation on that one. I'm almost certainly not going to do as good a job this time then. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think it's quite interesting because uh, we talk about feeless environments and everybody instantly just thinks that in the same way that like Polygon, for example, makes Ethereum way cheaper. Um, that's not really what we're talking about. We're not just talking about making each of those transactions happen in a cheaper way. So the way that the state channels operate with the main part of the hypergraph, I guess is the best way of putting it is they have to report back every 20 seconds. That yep. is a feature that happens for free. That's why me and you can send DAG between each other every 20 seconds for free. Like that is in itself the, the feelers part of the, of the environment. What you choose to then do with your state channel that reports back is up to you. So for example, if I w wanted to, provide a high value service like instant downloads of you know large packets of data for example that i would obviously charge a lot of money for that because that is something that would be way more expensive to do with aws servers and also i would need a lot of dag in my uh, nodes that are running on the state channel in order to be able to process that data so therefore there's there's times when you would have a feeless environment and times when you wouldn't um and you know whether your business operates in a way that means that like yeah feelessness doesn't make sense um, but there's also a lot of examples where people will be you know microservices for example would almost certainly need to be if not feeless like completely you know nearly feeless otherwise they just won't stand up so there's more that it has the flexibility within it um, you know microservices again probably don't need too much like bandwidth within their uh, state channel from the nodes so therefore they can operate a lot cheaper so it is it's it's more about the flexibility of like feel us to infinity rather than okay these are the fixed prices that you've always got to operate under because that means that your actual commercials and your enterprise product is only dictated by that rather than okay what do you want to charge and then work your way backwards from there basically yeah bravo i think that was better mate well done yes <laughs> <laughs> and i think maybe the i don't want to put you on the spot but like what do you think would be an example of um a microservice like the DAG tipping bot, for example. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a great one because, you know, if I just want to send a few DAG to say thank you to somebody, I don't also want to be charged a few DAG to do that. Right. And then it becomes like doubly expensive and it's a bit pointless. I mean, another one that I always kind of quite liked as a sort of concept um, and I've thought about a few times is uh, having like uh, pay for pages. So rather than having a paywall, so you go to a website, you have to pay £10 a month. Like you might not read that many articles yeah. on it, but you know, good places like the FT or somewhere like that where their, their paywall is very expensive. Um, it's like 30 or pounds a month. And it's like, well, I know I want to read like more than five articles, but I probably wouldn't read more than 10. Yeah. So instead of having a paywall that's thirty pounds or like you get five free articles, you can say, okay, well, if, you, if you've got a wallet, you can top this up um, and then you can just, every time you want to read an article, that one's 10p or there's a premium one that's maybe 15p and that's it. And then you can go to different websites and pick different articles. And then, you know, that's somewhere where you're going to multiple different vendors, making multiple different transactions and they're all like less than a dollar. That's somewhere where you couldn't do, you couldn't do that on Ethereum. Like it would have to be done through something that is in fearless environment. Yeah. Okay. A bit like um, Substack, kind of, yeah. but decentralized. Yeah, basically, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the amount of flexibility it provides for application developers is amazing, mm. isn't it? Just to be able to transact on the blockchain without worrying about the gas fees, without actually having to shell out tens of uh, dollars just to send out a transaction and get it validated on the blockchain uh, is, is such a game changer. It, it, it provides so much of flexibility yeah. for application developers on what they can do on the chain. 
And that is amazing. Because that's the big compromise that every developer has to make right now is that I would love to write to a smart contract every second because it will make my product amazing. It's not going to be feasible financially to do that. So then you have to compromise product features because of the limitations that are inherent in a smart contract. So yeah, state channels are cool. (laughs) (laughs) So right now we've kind of had that preamble. We can probably jump into the custom consensuses and... As our resident custom consensus expert, we're going to throw this over to you again and put you on the spot like I normally do when there's a difficult question, <laughs> mate. So yeah, over to you, my friend. Um, custom consensus. Okay, uh, so we were talking about this uh, a little while earlier where uh, we said that everything is data and everybody in, in the physical world is a validator. So for example, if there are three people trying to cross a road, the traffic is data. If there's a car that's approaching, that is data to me and I'm validating it and I'm then making a decision whether to cross the road or not. That decision-making process is quite a complicated one because of the amount of data and the variety of data that I as a validator am processing. And it is very difficult to actually put that in code which executes on the chain. And we say on the chain because we need a decentralized validation. So point number one is the type of data that is being validated. And number two is, can that be decentralized? And when we decentralize it, all the nodes actually, all the validators who are validating that complicated piece of information should be able to arrive at the same decision using the same mechanism. And this should be fast enough. So there are quite a few parameters. And this is where we define the concept of a state channel, where a state channel can be looked at as a subnet of nodes. And they can, each of these nodes can accept data in various formats and validate that data based on the the custom consensus mechanism that's been defined for that type of transaction. And these nodes don't really need to sit, you know, in some server farm. They don't need to be hosted on AWS uh, EC2 instances. They can be anything. Mm. So what Constellation is doing is they're trying to replicate human behavior. When you're driving, your GPS can be a validator. A validator that is actually looking at how long did it take for me to go from point A to point B? That is data. That can be validated. That can again, be reinforced by a GPS in a car that is behind me. So what we are doing is trying to accumulate real-world data, have a decentralized validation mechanism for that, and put those validators together as a state channel. So that is custom consensus, where we are able to accept data of any type, define the validation mechanism. That is the custom consensus and then get that decentralized network of nodes to agree on the decision that has been arrived at due to that custom consensus mechanism. Sort of put that in context. So, I mean, we always think of, you know, in my mind, a state channel is a physical thing. Obviously, it isn't in reality. So it's it's a cohort of nodes that agree on on the consensus that they are all going to validate. Um, and that's And that makes up the state channel. And the nodes are the pieces that fit together to make that happen. It's quite a good way of looking at it. Like, well, I, all my head was saying was like, why did the chicken cross the road? Because there was a number of L1 consensuses that it arrived at before it decided to walk over the other side. And I think, so would it be, would it be fair to say like the, you have your L1 consensus, but then the L0 consensus that you need to arrive at is, is it safe for me to cross the road now based off of, how many cars are on the road? How quickly are they moving? How quickly could I cross the road? Do I need to cross the road this quickly? Like that could all form the consensus which ultimately informs the decision, I will cross the road, yes or no. That's right. So uh, layer zero can be thought of as the underlying layer which brings different state channels together. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have a state channel of say GPSs in in a particular road and they are agreeing on uh, how bad the traffic is. Now, they have no clue about the weather itself. They're not validating the weather. They're not validating other uh, conditions as to whether the theater that I'm traveling to is actually open or not, whether the movie that I want to watch is running at the at the time that I want to watch it or not. So, so there, are, there are various different things. So 
let's look at each of these ecosystems, each of these conditions that are being validated as separate state channels. Now, yeah, traffic yeah, yeah. is one state channel for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Weather may be a different state channel. And say, there's another state channel that looks at all the uh, data about movies running in theaters. And I'm, I'm trying to make this as, as relatable as yeah, possible. Yeah, 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 I get it. But yeah. there is a layer that binds all of these together. So all the layer one state channels sit on top of the layer zero. And the layer zero has visibility of all the different factors. And that would then make a decision saying, yes, this is the way forward. While you can actually put as much or as little you want in the layer one uh, Mm -hmm. consensus mechanism, you will need to go through both the levels of consensus and both of them are, uh, you know, customizable where where you can say, you know, this is what I'm going to handle in, in my layer one consensus. So you go through the two levels of consensus before data can actually be added onto the ledger. And so in this example, the layer zero consensus would be your pro score. So that would be my cohort of nodes. They have this much processing power. We have this much uh, DAG in there, whatever it might be. And that is the thing that gets reported back every 20 seconds. So each state channel just says, I'm here. Everything's cool. We're operating at this speed. Keep going. And that's it. And then the bit that's on top of that, which is the layer one, is us saying, okay, if we get this piece of data, this is what you need to do with it. And this is how we're going to process it to make a transaction happen on the Alchemy Exchange. Exactly. And uh, what you put in layer one, what you put in layer zero uh, consensus is, is it, it all depends on uh, the, the requirements of your state channel. Um, what are the different transactions you want to validate? How fast do you want these to be validated? Um, you know, is, is there something that you can do uh, prior to the consensus mechanism? Um, so th- there are lots of factors that we can consider and which is where I think every ecosystem will need to hit that sweet spot based on the different requirements of the project, the different transactions that need to be validated, the different ways in which to validate that data and the decisions that follow that, uh, that validation mechanism. And I, I guess that's where the concept of the infinite horizontal scalability comes in, whereby you can have as many state channels as you want, validating as many different types of data as you'd like. And then you at the L0 level are making then consensus on that, you know, and that's the more that happens, the better really. And you get a more complex picture kind of recreating that human behavior. Like if we probably try to write down what the consensus mechanism that we have in our brains, it would be very long, you know, and like crazy, you know, and that, that I think is what we're starting to touch on with state channels in general, because like if I sit and read books all day, I can infinitely scale my knowledge in my brain about a particular subject, you're right, until there's the, the information just runs out, you know, and that never happens because information is being created every single second of every single day. So yeah, I think that, oh, I start to say more cogs are turning in my head when I say that out <laughs> loud, you know, but that that is powerful, you know, and it's where this will be an ecosystem because everyone in the ecosystem can speak to the other parties, can fall into consensus with them. And I mean, for example, there could be companies that are providing really niche data around internet users that then becomes interoperable with the Alchemy Exchange state channel to then provide a different level of targeting for an advertiser for it might be relevant for particular brands. I mean, if it was a travel company, let's say, they know where you're going on holiday, what class you're flying, which hotels you're staying in. So they may be able to recommend a restaurant that fits their assumed perception of what you could afford, right? You know, or it's uh, just an example. It could be anything. Or if it's just booked a hotel, sorry, booked to flight, it's like, okay, I'm going to fly to France. Here is 10 hotels in Paris because we know you're going there. And that then is actually very useful for me as the end user, the advertiser, and then the publisher or website who's able to provide the arena for which that happens in, in, in the real world, if you will, not the, the kind of the back end consensus, you know, and that's where I've always been, this is a tangent, but that's where I've always been just supremely impressed by the open RTB protocol. Like it, for me, it's like one of the first decentralized, widely agreed upon oracles, you know, it turns me, someone that's using my phone and looking at scrolling through a website into a bid request that is then actionable through other information that is stored right now in a centralized server from Nike or Adidas or whoever, you know? And I think that is wild. I actually got asked a question, um, I think it was ATS and 
that was my answer. I was like, kind of decentralization has already like, kind of happened really in the open RTB protocol, right? Because like the trade desk doesn't work that closely with Magnite, but then they share this open RTB to allow them to trade ads, you know, and like 99.9% .9 of ads to trade ads use open RTB, right? And that's why I think we're, we're very bullish on what's going to be possible using that existing standard to make us interoperable with what exists at the moment. And then, but using that as the new base level of which we can build on and create some pretty amazing ad products, to be honest with you. I mean, I say an amazing ad product because I work in Amazon, <laughs> but like, I mean, like it's better than the crappy ones that you can see on the internet now, you know? So yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, that's an interesting way to look at it as well. I mean, it's almost like that's a, the open RTB consensus is our version of layer zero. And then we're building our state channel on top, which will be the way that we interact with that standard and make it customized by putting it onto the hypergraph, for example. Yeah. Um, one of the things that really stuck me about uh, what Alchemy is doing is we all know that data is um, very popularly ref referred to as the new oil. Mm. And everybody wants data. Everybody wants to process data and take actions on data. And the most popular action that we've seen in the market that is happening on this data is targeting people with advertisement. And that being the biggest consequence of the data that processing that is happening is an ecosystem that's completely broken. I guess basically, and it's the problem that we always set out to solve, I think, is that the value exchange on the internet is broken right now because you, are, the three of us here, Millie, have all been ignored by advertisers and publishers. You know, that is why GDPR exists because it just got out of hand and regulators were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys need to just simmer down a little bit. We need to respect people that are using the internet because you guys are making billions of dollars off of data that the four of us always produce, you know, every second, every day we're producing more data. It's crazy, like megabytes of data from your phone every half hour. Anyway, um, users have been annoyed by ads for, let's say, the last five years. They may have chosen to install an ad blocker or use a browser like Brave that prevents ads from being seen at certain times which has meant that a website to continue to pay their staff, to continue writing content, to maintain their websites, to print their newspapers, to whatever it is that that particular publisher does, be a bit less respectful in terms of how many ads it shows you, how annoying those ads are, the advertisers that are accessing them, the intermediaries they have to work with, which then provides more value leak. And then so as an advertiser, you're not able to access the users you want to in the scale that you want to. You're competing with a lot of other noise on a website with other brands that may or may not be competitive with you. And you don't really know what's going on in the other ad units on page when you're trying to bid in the auction, right? Um, so what we're saying is by returning more of the value to publishers and advertisers, that will then be able to be shared with a user for the first time really since internet ads have existed. There'll be fewer ads. There'll be better targeted ads. Your your web pages will physically load quicker um, with fewer ads on page. Advertisers won't have to bombard you as much to cut through all the noise. And you may be more willing to click on an ad if it's more relevant to your interest. You know, sometimes when you see a good bit of advertising, you're like, oh, I didn't know that brand existed. I like what they're doing. I'm going to buy their coffee beans or whatever it is, you know, Um as simple as that, really. It's just like respecting each participant, taking the innovation out of the middle, taking it then to the edges and just let the middle just trade the data in between that allows this whole thing to exist, essentially. Absolutely. And I think uh, the especially the one party that in this whole ecosystem that felt cheated was the user, the yeah. end user, who was actually uh, targeted with that product, that ad. And what was in it for the user? Nothing. Yeah. So it's it's only, um, I think it's, it's not incorrect for a user to not want to watch an ad, to install ad blockers when there's nothing in it for them. Mm. But I think once we start adding value to uh, the user, that is when they appreciate that, you know, a website or an app cannot exist without an ad. That is their source of revenue. That's the source which will enable them to provide the services that they are, whether it's uh, uh, news or entertainment or any other uh, type of information that they want. But they are now part of the value exchange mm. and they 
have consciously said, and this is what GDPR allows us to do, is they've consciously consented to that data being used by whoever they trust. And trust is very important here. Mm -hmm. Who do they trust to process their data and then target them with ads? And they can only share the data with people they trust and become part of that value exchange. So there is not only the trust, but also the, the ability to be rewarded and hence part of that value exchange. Absolutely. And I think that the reason that a poorly targeted ad, an intrusive ad has such an impact on you as a user is because of technology, right? If it was in a newspaper that you picked up and left, you didn't care if it was an annoying ad that wasn't targeted at you. But more often than not, you're seeing an ad on your phone. You use your phone to speak to your family, to your partner, to bank. It's a very, very personal device. You literally have it on you every second of every day. And if you don't, you're kind of panicking, like, where the hell is my phone, you know? And if then all of a sudden you're seeing an ad that is really poorly targeted and is annoying on your phone, it's a bit more kind of like, I don't know, it's not intrusive, but like jarring, you know, because it's alien in what is a very personal device. And I think that where technology has advanced so quickly, we haven't been able to keep up with this changing behavior, you know? And that's only going to be even more significant in a metaverse, you know, where people... When they see something, we've all seen the videos, right? When people put the gog Oculus on for the first time and they're on a building and then they fall off and jump and run into a wall like they actually think that they're going to fall off a building. You know, like crazy. But with advertising going to have going to have a big part to play in that. I mean, Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call them, they've made a big bet on the metaverse, you know, and they are an ad company. So if you want to figure out what their plans are in the future, you've only got to look at the patents where they're going to represent your facial features and being experienced the bad ads on a metaverse where you in your bedroom that you've recreated on there is going to be even more jarring than it is on your mobile phone, you know, and that needs to be fixed sharpish for any of these technologies to really stand down and get off my soapbox after that. Kind of <laughs> speech. But that's really the problem we're trying to solve. You know, it's just like the internet is the coolest thing that's been invented in the last 20, 30 years. You know, we need to make sure it stays around for the next hundred, 200 years, you know, and I think, you, that's not without users and be kind of free and open I think as yeah, well is very exactly. important the freedom of flow of information like the the thing that has happened I think with like companies like Google Facebook whatever is they built very you know very expensive infrastructure and then charged rent for it yeah. like they're rent seekers right they're they're out there you know if you want to use our Google Cloud services you want to use our ad server whatever it might be that's expensive right it's not cheap Whereas, like, to put it back to the sort of penny pages are, are like argument, it's like that they were the paywall, and then the other option is you pay for the amount of time you actually use something. That is going to change the way that you know brands and advertisers, uh, brands and advertisers and publishers are able to access their users, and also it makes life a lot better for the users because they're not just going through one central point. Because that central point, as we all know, because we're all into blockchains, is a point of failure. And, you know, they have only got one aim, and that is to make money for themselves as companies. Therefore, that single point of failure is them. Um, whereas yeah. once we decentralize it, we give everybody the option of, 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 you know, interacting as much or as little as they need to. And that's where we, you know, get a completely different outcome. It's those kind of very micro changes that make kind of very macro uh, changes. Yeah, because I like that. An example could be Europe car and Zipcar. And if Zipcar is a kind of by the minute car rental um, company, which you can unlock that car with your phone, that has decentralized car rental. And I can now go and rent a car for 13p a minute. And also off the street, right? Not, and off the street, yeah. Not, not from the centralized garage that they've got. Which might be closed after 5pm or whatever, you know. And like... They're offering the same thing, rent a car, but the actual user experience is vastly different between Europe car and Zipcar. You know, like I use Zipcar significantly more than I use Europe car because I can get it, I can borrow it for 15 minutes, leave it where I dropped it, and I'm gone. Next person can come in and use it for whatever they want to do for the exact same thing. So, on the, the, if you just looked at it, you're like, they're the same, but actually they're completely different when you actually use it for the first time. And I think that's exactly what we're saying here. Like Google and Facebook sell ads, Alchemy Exchange help the buying and selling of ads, same thing. But then when it actually comes to being using it at the edge with you and I on the internet, it will be vastly different 
to what exists right now. And I think that's the amazing part about the Constellation state channel is it can be like same, same, but different and just really blow it out. So I think that, I mean, we were, we were graduates from the incubation program and from going through that, it allowed us to think about things in a slightly different way. So like, I don't know, I never know if anyone finds this interesting, but if you found this interesting and you've got a good idea in your head, like Charlie's always a big proponent, just like write it down, tell your friends, try and prove it wrong. And then submit that idea to the Constellation Incubation Program, you know, because- I mean, there's, there's smart people than us who, you know, exactly. help you refine your ideas as well. So I think that's the other thing that it uh, a good idea is like a, always the best starting point, but then there's yeah. the ideation process. Um, and that's kind of what the incubation is there for because, you know, there's a million different ways you can, you know, skin a cat. Um, I'm never really sure where that phrase comes from, but <laughs> it means that like, you know, there's things that you know you need to do, but you can only find out through the ideation process that is refining that idea and making it, you know, fit into the ecosystem that you're trying to use, which is Constellation, because you might have an idea that works on Ethereum, but you're like, okay, well, actually, if it was feeless, that, that would be enough. And it, then there might be other layers of things that you can add to that product that you didn't even know existed. Yeah, yeah um, I, I completely agree with that. When we look at things around us, there are so many problems that strike and we subconsciously start to think about how we can resolve those problems, how we can be part of the solution rather than just whining at the problem. Yeah. And sometimes we've realized that technology may not be up to scratch in order to help us resolve those problems. And especially with those problems that we were facing as uh, developers, blockchain developers, a lot of it has been resolved by Constellation. So when we are looking at a problem in a specific ecosystem, I would recommend everybody to just go and have a look at the features that Constellation has to offer and what effect it has on the way you can build uh, your solution, the way you can uh, apply those features onto your ecosystem. And the, the features that are being provided will blow your mind. That's at least it, it blew my mind when yeah. I when I started learning about it. And uh, uh, what really uh, came out of the whole process is, okay, now I know that there is a problem that is worthy enough to be solved. There is a technology solution that enables me to solve the problem. Now what? Yeah. I don't know how to go from that idea to actually deploying a product on the market. And I think that is where the incubation program for me uh, was really, really useful. Because the features aren't the product, right? And I exactly. think the features facilitate the solution, the products of whatever it is you want to offer. And I think, yeah, the flight program will help you hone that to the point where this is something that you could launch a token for or, or whatever it is that you want to do with that idea, you know, like that is the key for me. I think that's like start the features, build from there. Don't features okay i would just do that you know like it's free it's feeless <laughs> so you know like what is feeless what isn't what fee do you actually need to charge to hire engineers to market it to make it an actual product you know like, and like i think reward anybody who's using your system as yeah. well right i think that's the other thing that is important is the flow of that like data or money or both <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Or where yeah. it goes to who who's inputting one, who's outputting the other, those kind of things are all, all the things that you need to kind of just think about first. And then you can almost draw like a mind map of what's going on. Absolutely. I think, and on that bombshell, I think we'll, we'll end it there. And you, we can tune in next week to the origins of idioms with Adam Chorley. Take it from there. But no, no, I think we'll, we'll stick to advertising rather than the English language. Cause yeah, who cares? Um, so yeah, thank you all for, for listening, for joining us. Hope this is useful. We, we appreciate that was a bit of a hiatus, but we are Alchemist is back. Um, it's be a much more regular feature and we look forward to, to talking and speaking to you all next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. Thank you everyone. <laughs> <laughs>